Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. There's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling, and you're one of them. You know all the bad shit you've heard about us, it's all true, but another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling, and that's why we're here. I'm not sports entertainer anymore. Talk to him, kid. This is our new beginning, and it starts tonight. A new day is dawning for DX. So who you're talking to? Welcome back, five one two three sixty. Have a hell of an episode this week. God, we got a lot to pack into this episode. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm so excited that uh, Kenny Omega is going to join us a little bit later on. And before we talk to him, we're going to talk about this weekend, NXT, the, just the whole SummerSlam weekend. I don't know how we're going to fit all this into one hour show. <laughs> I think I might go ahead and... <laughs> oh crap! So let's get right into it. All right, NXT? who wants to start? Yeah. Well, you two. Oh, there. by the way, joining us as usual, we got Jimbo on the couch. We got Denise on the hey. couch. We got Bill Hanstock here at the table, and we got the lovely TK Trinidad. Boom. All right, so we got that out of the way. Let's yeah. talk about NXT. <laughs> Oh my god, it was so good. Like yeah. we both went. We were both in New York. Um, we both is in who? Me and Bill. Me and Bill, it's Bill when, and I. Bill and I. Yeah. <laughs> like no, together, I but you know, we were there. Yeah. It was it was a really great event. Um yeah. well which one did you like the most? Takeover. Well I yeah, I liked I, I felt like Takeover was just the perfect yeah. amount of time. Like it felt like with SummerSlam it was just like If SummerSlam dang. had been an eight match card, like one of the it best was cards. A little bit yeah. too long. But I mean Takeover was perfect. You had the hour episode that they taped beforehand and then the five match. Uh, actual card and it was just perfect perfect length every match delivered amazing hot post uh, event angle to send the crowd home and send them home while they're still a little bit hungry that's right that that like they want more not like okay oh my god that was great but oh I'm exhausted Yeah. yeah you know can't handle that till next year. I, that kind of thing. I think you know? my favorite thing about Takeover was you knew where the next storylines were headed. Mm-hmm. You knew, like, okay, now Drew McIntyre won. Who's he going to face? Oh, he's going to face Adam Cole. Yeah. Uh, Sanity won the tag titles. Who are they going to face? They're going to face what might be Red Dragon. I don't know what they're going to call them, but mm-hmm. Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. So we already know I'm tuning in Wednesday to see what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, and we already know the main roster. Like, no matter who won the matches, we know that uh, all the. The new tag team, the new all the new title holders have automatic rematches, so we're yeah. going to see the same matches again either on Monday or for the next month. Yeah, I, no, you'll see them on TV. I, that's how they usually do it. 
I was so happy for Drew because it's just like from the interview and then uh, even speaking to him about like this whole process and just seeing it, I was just like, it was just so invested because we, you know, we were talking to him about this and he was like, you know what, this is what I want to do and this is where I envision myself. And then you see it happen. It was, it was definitely an amazing, you know, cap off to the night. And, and that match. Yeah. And congratulations, Drew. Uh, Well, congratulations to both guys and the Mm -hmm. whole crew, the whole NXT crew. They just killed it. Like, I mean. With the capital K. Perfect tweet to that. You said that every guy was like top that, and then they came back and they talked. Yeah, follow that, and then they did. Crazy, it was Mm -hmm. great show. So, so like that makes it even more impressive, considering everything those guys had to follow, and they went out there and they did it too. The people were still were still live and kicking when when it got to the main event, and And they and they delivered. And even though even though just because (laughs) of how good the card was. McIntyre Rude might have been the worst car, match on the card. Not, nothing, nothing wrong with the match yes. at all. It was a very good match. But the great thing about that is because of the post-match angle, that's what people are going to remember yes. about that match is, oh my God, that was exciting. That was thrilling. We saw something special happen. And I hate to even you know, use the term worst match on the card because there was no worst match. No, but it's all yeah, crazy. but yeah, but totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and and those guys, uh Fish and, and uh O'Reilly. Uh, yeah, um it's just amazing to me that the whole building knew exactly who they were and popped huge for them. Yeah. That's great. I love that. And the misdirect in the after the main event of them coming out, yeah. and you think they're going to jump it again so they can send Adam Cole in? Then Adam Cole, yeah. yes, yes. And when we had Drew, the one of the last things he said in the interview was actually that there's kind of like a secret battle yeah. into topping SummerSlam. Right. I think that a lot of people, you know, like you guys said, see that and they're like, okay, like this show was better than SummerSlam, you know, depending yeah, on sure. everybody's yeah. opinion. But that's pretty cool that he gave us an insight to that. That is, that's what I meant was like when Adam Cole came out, like the people went ape shit over yeah. that, yeah. you know. Uh, you didn't see it on TV, but after after they went off the air on Takeover, all three of them walked to the top of the ramp. Adam Cole leaned down, and everyone was waiting for it, and he put up the fingers, and the whole arena said Adam Cole Bay Bay. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Like that's that. that's yeah, when you're it. over is when everybody yeah. you've never been on WWE television a second in your life and everyone knows your catchphrase. And it felt like they knew he was coming out too even before it happened because there has been rumors that he was in the city and it just felt like you know when you watch those like Marvel characters or those DC movies and everybody who who's watched it before knows even at the end after the credits there's something else coming like right. everybody stood there right. exactly. and we were waiting like okay and then I saw Bill's like all right well I guess we're just gonna wait here some more and then then it happened so it was definitely it was it was a really well put together show. Yeah. Nice. Uh, we saw we all got to see at NXT LA the uh, that version of uh, Gargano versus Almas. Wow. And it was great, but then you could tell that they used that whole... Because they worked together for the whole the uh, Northwest yeah. tour. And they put that match together and kept adding to it. And by the time we saw it at TakeOver, just, holy lord, what a well... Tremendous. Oh my god. Opening match. It was just out of... It was knocked it right out of the park. Exactly. Perfect. And then one of our, us, uh, our <coughs> other guests, which was Alistair Black and his match with Hideo yeah. Itami, that one was badass too. I, that was actually was my favorite Alistair match. got the superstar entrance with them playing yes. his theme live. Mm-hmm. Looked like just a million, but I couldn't have looked like more like a superstar mm-hmm. on that match. And then they were the come down match actually, but they still had an amazing match. Yes. Whatever match that, you know, when you, when 
when you put together a match and you lay it, or yeah. the card and you lay it out, like you, you pace it right, yeah, and yeah. then there's going to be some matches that are dis, or that are strategically placed to be the kind of like the popcorn type sure. match. I don't sure. know if you know what I mean by that. Yeah, like, after like go get your popcorn, go yeah, go, to go bring to it down, and then yeah. so they can, so the people can come back up. That, that first match was so hot. Yeah, mm-hmm. the second match was so crazy. Yeah. You gotta bring them down a little bit because they knew they had Oscar Ember Moon coming out after that. Oh my that. gosh! That but it so didn't nice. work that way. Like those matches that were designed to bring them back down didn't. Right. Everything just kept on building and building and building. But still, Alistair and Tommy didn't do as much as they could have. No, but they they knew their spot exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So do they tell you? You know, this is this match. We don't want you to make the audience as hyper. So bring it down. Like, do they tell you that before you go on? Like, how does that work out? It was never really. My experience with how that we just knew, like okay, this is my spot on the on the show, okay. you know, and uh, because there were no agents or producers saying, okay, right here you do this and this would be a mm-hmm. good idea. No, what none know. of that. We did it, you know. I mean, leading in my matches, I did it. <laughs> Oscar Ember Moon match of the year so oh far. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Oh, so I mean, yeah. not counting New Japan. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, just. Um, they had a lot, like, you know, going in with a singles match after you have, like, a tag team situation where they're just going out there and just freaking killing it like that, it's hard to follow a great tag team match. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't there a tag team match right up before that, uh, right? There's the tag team match and then Black and Atami and, and then, then Oscar. Oscar. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Sorry, it's everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Screwing up the crowd. It did more for Amber Moon to lose in this match because it just raised her stock that much higher. Yeah. This is a perfect example of how to how to not lose by losing. Just yeah, she yeah. did a really she she was good. Yeah. And the finish was so amazing where it's like you you they had all the false finishes. They had Oscar kicking out kicking out of the eclipse, is that what it's called? Yeah. The eclipse. And then, you know, you had Oscar like the false finishes, the false pin, the 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 near fall, and then her rolling her back to the center of the ring and yeah. just like the look on her face and then the sad tap out where it's like I'm not going to win. Yeah, it's just like, it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect, I loved it. I thought it was, well, what do you think of Drew's dive? That was fine. Yeah? Yeah, it was fine. I, I mean, it was a little, like, I, I mean, it's, here's the thing. Like, he wanted to do it. It was important yeah. for him. And it, and it was fine. The people pop and everything. So I'm I'm cool with it. You think Bobby should have caught him a little better? Or? Yeah, he caught him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> He's a little bit out of the way. He's he a big guy, a little man. bit there. You understand, like, well, you uh, you, sh- you stood next to Drew Galloway yeah. or Drew McIntyre, sorry. Yeah. And I mean, he's six foot. He's Forever. six seven foot five, barefoot. Yeah. Man. He's like I'm six seven with my boots on. Yeah. And so, like, that's a big dude to catch. Like well, that. when he was here and he was like, "I'm going to break out a dive." Yeah. I was just waiting the entire match, like, "When's it coming? When's it coming?" And then when it came, I was like, "Oh shit!" And then you see him hit, and he was just like, oh. <laughs> "You're just okay." Here's how. Like, all I cared about was somebody just hit, they 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 blocked me. They. As long as I make contact with them, like I don't have, they don't have to hold me all sure. the way down. I just need them to kind of break your fall. yeah, break it, you know, break the fall a little bit. So, yeah, man. To so, SummerSlam. Okay. Well, the entrance for Bobby was amazing too. Just yeah. being in, um, in Barclays and seeing how it went down, it was just glorious. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It felt like from one moment you were like in a in a in a concert, like a share concert. Yeah. Or something. It, it was just a. It was a really. It's, even minus all the pyros, it was it was definitely the entrance was amazing. Oh, God. How was it like hearing those bagpipes live? Oh yeah, they had the the New York uh, Police P- Department pipes and drums. Yeah, it was. It was 
it was good. it was all good. And the thing about that um, that center too is that no matter where you sit, whether you're in the front row or if you're in the nosebleed section, every seat is a really great seat yep. in the house, which is not you know a lot of other places are not. It's not the case. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, one other note about Takeover because I'm a massive wrestling dork, as I'm sure you guys have picked up on by now. Uh, something that I noticed is this is the first takeover that I'm aware of that they did the ringside chairs specifically. Oh, did takeover. they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, nice. Because before, that. like, cool. like even last year at Barclays, they were just like the normal black folding chairs that you didn't get to take with you. But yeah, they they made them up just for takeover. They looked real sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. SummerSlam. Yeah. What were your thoughts? Too long. Too yeah. Long, too long. <laughs> I didn't even. I, I'm just. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to apologize for not watching the whole freaking thing. You shouldn't. You know, Ain't not nobody at all. got time for that. Yeah, no, because like I think I had texted you, and yeah. it was maybe like five o'clock or something. And online it said it started at six thirty. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap! And then I got there at like seven something, and it was like still in the middle. And I'm like, god damn! Like yeah. really? So she, she texted me, and she's like, it starts at six thirty, right? I'm like, it started at five. Does anyone does anyone know what the what the the wisdom is behind that? No, so, what so, the thought so process more, is behind some more ads on network? I don't know. Okay, whatever. I, 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 if that's the case, and it's a, and it's strictly a money thing, it would think that it would cost them more to put on that eight hours of programming oh than gosh, just. It was crazy. I, I think the, just, I think God. the thought is that at this point, WrestleMania is six hours, and that feels like a, a special deal. So they want to make SummerSlam feel special too. Mm. I think it it's fell that, short. When, it's when that I'm idea done. of like you go to the Super Bowl. You, the Super Bowl starts at eight, but you go to your friend's house at two and start mm-hmm. eating. Like that's yeah. what they want to try. And all that stuff. But the but the the problem with that is, so the Super Bowl ain't six hours right. long. Let's okay okay. So let's get right down to it. Um, Miz, after the year he's at being in in a in a pre-show match like that, I found that to be bullshit. There were legit fifty or sixty people when that match started. Like, in their seats. Wasn't the mistake that the show started at 2, but the doors opened for the audience at 2, correct? Uh, our time? Against... Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well, for, like, basically. They, basically, the, they, the they doors opened at the same time. They, they, they came out at, like, 5.15. I had heard that there were problems of, like, they were letting people in a, in batches to get through security, and then once they cleared security, they are letting another batch in. So I had heard that that was part of the problem. What I had thought at the time when it started, and there were like legit fifty or sixty people in their seats while that match was starting, I thought that they were using that match so early as a tactic to get people into the seats so that they would watch the rest of the uh, kickoff show. Yeah. Yeah. But it might have been a combination. I just of a did, bunch I of just stuff. found it. I just thought it was really not cool to put you know the Hardys and uh, and Miz and you know I mean those those three guys. Nothing against everyone else, sure. mm-hmm. but those three guys earned not being in that position. Yep. And when you put guys out there and have and okay you got the camera on them, but there's nobody in in the crowd to for that energy to feed off of. That's when you get hurt. I'm sorry to mean to uh no. get to but it really pisses me off when, yeah. when I see that. So well, they've done I mean, that before. Miz and Miz and his, like, a few other people in that match were pretty hot about wrestling in front of nobody. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I would have too. I would have yeah. blown a gasket. Yeah. Well, yes. Last year at Mania, there was like ticket issues with people getting into this yeah. to the arena. So but the opening that, match but had even, that same situation. But even that was WrestleMania. Uh-huh. So like there were still several people there. thousand people still yeah. in their seats. It looked like an empty arena, kinda. But there were thousands of people still there. This was sad. You know, even dozens of people. From home, I felt like they actually started the match a little bit 
to like in the beginning of the pre-show like usually we they get do. a lot yeah. more analyzing with Renee yeah. and everybody mm-hmm. and so they started a lot earlier well, than the 30 minute norm- mark normally so. there's not three matches on the kickoff show and normally there's not 13 matches on the card so just to give everybody a uh, a payoff that's when you have 10-man tags and shit like that, so you yeah. can fit well, a bunch of guys into one match, and so everyone gets included. That was a, It was a weird thing, because they clearly wanted to do Hardys versus Revival, possibly versus Club, but then, you know, Dawson gets hurt. Mm. So Yeah. Okay. Well, with all the success of NXT and SummerSlam and this weekend being a big thing, you think that we'll start to see how WrestleMania, all like the other indie companies come and run WrestleMania weekend because it's a good way to get eyes on their product. You think we'll start to see that we going saw, on with SummerSlam we and We saw NXT it more now? last year than we did this year because normally Evolve runs on SummerSlam weekend. Like last year, Evolve ran two shows on SummerSlam weekend. This year, there was just a House of Glory show on Friday in Jamaica, New York. And then some of the things like Sam Roberts' live show. The, uh, I think Jim Ross's yeah. uh, thing with uh, Heyman. Yeah. And normally Pritchard had something going on too, right? Yeah. Normally there's a lot more on SummerSlam weekend. And I think that there, I think that there weren't Evolve shows this weekend just because Gabe's now working with the next yeah, team. That yeah, probably. Yeah. And it would be smart for them to run, for sure, to run their event surrounding WWE events because that's when you get a lot of people that are trying to find something to do. Like WrestleMania in Dallas, there was a problem where there wasn't as many events, therefore not as much to do, versus when they had it in San Francisco. There was tons of events and mm-hmm. stuff oh, like that. Oh, you didn't think there were a lot of events in Dallas? No, it cannot compare to San Francisco. <laughs> not even. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember that yeah being the case, and it was a little bit harder to get around to all of them. Yeah, there's people walking around trying to find out what to do. Yeah. It's crazy. Huh. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. Like, I wanted to skip to the, like, you know, yeah, the main card, but, you know, it's hard to when you have the New Day versus Usos. Second on best the, match on the card. Yes, yeah. on the whole, from the whole day. Yeah, yeah. That was tremendous. Amazing. The Usos are absolutely on fire right now. Just yeah. unbelievably good right now. And, and that, that Big E dive. That, right, and that was honestly that match was proof that the pre-show matches are not just the whatever matches. Yeah. Right? You're gonna expect to see only the great matches on the main card. No, that yeah. was well, like a two total, title changes on the pre-show. You know, exactly, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and then and then okay, the first match, Cena and, and Corbett. I was disappointed, man. I, <laughs> I, think I, a lot I of people were like, you know, I thought about huh, how do I talk about this without you know well, whatever, man. I was just, I'm sorry, I was disappointed with it. I don't I don't I'm not sure what happened there. And I mean that's for when you usually when you have a first match on a pay per view, regardless if you have a bunch of oh you know yeah. pre matches like that one's supposed to really yeah. you know have you sit down so you don't go nowhere yeah and and not like you know like a lot of guys you know he was I mean it looked like you know maybe I hate to say it looked like John was you know uh, not in the same ring condition that he usually is it really did no comments from anyone else I I, I think he looked huge like he looked real big and i yeah, think yeah. like maybe combination of him bulking up for something maybe for transformers or something and not wrestling as much as he normally wrestles yeah well yeah it's definitely a difference when you're it seems like he's doing so many things that he can't necessarily put in that time that he would if he put in three hours of the gym before yeah. now he's flying all over the place and doing other jobs sure. he might get maybe 40 minutes or something like that and then you know you put that combination and he's getting older like <laughs> yeah i Go ahead. Sorry. Regardless of what Cena is looking at, it's John Cena. It's the start of the match. It should have been more lit than it was. That's right. You know, for this because it's, it, come on, John Cena, right. not just anybody. I mean, right? immediately he went right into a cell. There was no sh- sh- 
shine spot where you boom, 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 get the crowd up, and then boom, you get shut down. I there was none get, of that. Yeah, I wanted to get your take on this because uh, Dave Meltzer talked about it. He said that Corbin's being punished to this point, and he said that the way the match was laid out, it wasn't even laid out for them to... It was laid out to be a completely lackluster match. Like, the way it was laid out was put together specifically so that it wouldn't be exciting, that Corbin wouldn't get anything in. Oh. Yeah, but how does how is that a good business yeah, decision? I'm, I'm I just want somebody to please explain that to me. Right. I'm going to ask. Yeah. actually. Yeah, you know because I know that just does not make one bit of sense. To the, me. For me, the match had one amazing spot in it where because Corbin has the thing where he slides out of the ring and then jumps back in, which yeah. is always cool because you see how athletic the guy is. But he came right back in with a choke slam onto his knee, which. He, he hasn't ever done before, but it looked amazing. Like, yeah. that looked amazing, and then the match was just over. Yeah, I could have done without that one. Yeah. So, I thought that should have been on the pre-show. Yeah. Or the pre-pre-show. If it's going to be like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think the Usos was, tag match should have been. Because yeah, Corbin like, lost the money in the bank so embarrassingly that you're like, oh, he's going to just destroy That's Cena what I thought. On yeah. Sunday yeah. Then. Well, and the fans even made a joke of it with the, where's your briefcase chant? Yeah. You know? they, were, they were doing that at TakeOver, too. He was on the TakeOver panel for the pre-show, and they were chanting at him. And he's just such a good heel. Like, everyone hates him, and he's so good at being a heel. But the thing is, it's like, if you're going to punish somebody, don't do it on screen. There's plenty of ways to do that shit. Mm -hmm. Plenty of ways to do that without doing it on screen and, and, and having that petty bullshit spill over into your product. Yeah. Sorry, I don't get that. And I never, ever did. Ever. Anyways. <laughs> what was the next Natalia. match? Natalia. This was so awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad Natty won. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, this is a great match. I mean, Top to bottom, both of them kicked ass. It was it was a little rough around the edges though, but I. I know. I was waiting for Carmella. I thought. We yeah, were I thought she was going to come in. at the end or something, cash in. Yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised that we saw a title change on this one. Really? Yeah, oh. I, like, I'm happy for Natalia, but I just kind of wanted Naomi to keep it a little bit longer. Yeah. But the, I don't know. Just. Yeah. I, I I think she'll get it back. I think so too. Yeah, I do. I just want them to start selling those glow belts. Oh, they got to be coming. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, everything. I, I it's just it's just weird. It's just a weird situation now because you know, like Natty, like celebrated with the belt for so long that you know, er, you know, everyone in the, the arena is like looking for the cash in. Yeah. But it's such a weird situation now because you've got a heel champ and a heel holding the briefcase. So it's like, what what are we even doing? What are we gonna do? Well, we'll see, right? Yeah, we'll see. Did you see that like the the in ring like when she came out like on uh, on Smackdown? TV? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a little. It was a little. Yeah, it was a little uncomfortable. Like, it wasn't so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of not so good, oh yeah, oh my, this, well, this match. The one part was really because you saw, <laughs> like Enzo squeezing through the. That was the, kind of. That was like page. the only highlight. That was, of this yeah, match. That, was, that was it. Him and the baby was, oil. Yeah, he, the whole match, Enzo was just dancing and mugging in the cage. The yeah. Crowd wasn't looking at the match. At all. It was, that's a major distraction. Yeah, yeah. I would be I would be hot if I was the two guys in the match. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's weird, like the match exists. The the this type of match exists because you got a heel manager that's always getting into stuff. Yeah. But this story has been like, oh, Enzo and Big Show keep getting beat up, so we're putting the baby face in a cage. And then the one stipulation of the match, he gets out of the cage, yep. and it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. yeah. And the cage wasn't very high either. Yeah. It wasn't no. feet. 
I, 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 I
like dressed like him and Little singing dudes. the whole world in his hands like Bray used <laughs> oh, to do. That might have thrown yeah. Bray off his game. I thought that was a really good idea. But yeah, that's got to be an easy casting call. Uh, we need like twelve kids to take their shirts off. <laughs> We're gonna paint them up like demons. Is that okay? Uh, Ain't nothing all wrong with this match. I just would have done if if that if I would have been if it would have been my match. I would have I would have worked it different. Yeah, that, so, you know. Yeah, I just I would have. Uh, there was just a lot of things I was wondering. Hey, why are they doing it like that? I would have done it like this, but that's just me. That's just me. I wasn't so like I was expecting, eh, you know, to be a tad bit better. It seemed to me like it was like, well, what are all the moves that you do, and what yeah. are all the moves that you do? Well, okay, let's make it all work together. Like, if you were to play a video game or play with your figures, yes. this was the match you would have. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was It was good. It was better than others, but... It's just a bummer that this is the first time we've seen the Demon since Finn Balor won the Universal title. He's never gotten a rematch for the Universal title, and this is what he's doing. Like, they've already had this match a couple times, so... Yeah. This tag match... The highlight of this tag match was the beach ball, right? Yeah. It got mean, the biggest reaction. Yeah. yeah. It was a great match. I loved this match. I thought it was a great match. They had the crowd rocking and rolling. Like the, This was the, besides besides the main, this was the match that the live crowd was the yeah. way, way, way Really? Yeah. yeah, I think it was like the storyline, too, like the ultimate bromance. Like, they're getting back together. They're back <laughs> together. Are they going to win? Like, I think people are really, really invested sure. uh, in, that, in that match. And uh, Dean Ambrose is now the first member of the Shield to win the Grand Slam. Oh, yeah. Ah. Congratulations. Okay. This match. What were your thoughts? This one was really good. I think I really enjoyed AJ Styles and Kevin Owens. I thought it did what it was supposed to do, and it was really fun to watch. Next. We were, myself and Brandon Stroud from uh, with Spandex, we were waiting the whole time for Shane to do the one, two middle fingers like Mm -hmm. he did with The Rock, or uh, Austin, like he did with Austin. Oh, I didn't see that. No, back in the day. Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah. We were waiting for it. Well, it's just like Shane was such an ineffective referee and like so biased. It's like, but did you not doing? love the part when Owen was like, "You can jump off yes. the building, but you can't get up from a three count." That was the best. Yeah. I that was it. Really and funny. he even continued it on Raw with the crazy. Yeah, and he funny. did make re- reference on Raw that Shane or another McMahon screwed another Canadian. Yeah, Does anybody... yeah. Bret Hart. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I the, like... the 450 knees to the back look so brutal. Okay. On like when Owens pulled Shane on top as. Uh, AJ hit the 450 and he just caught those knees in the lower back and you could see Shane get up and like yeah. struggle to breathe. I was like, oh man, that did not feel good. That yeah, I, I, I love Styles. I love Owens. They're doing great stuff. It's just, it's weird that we're building to an Owens versus Shane McMahon match. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah but it's kind of It's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be, be excellent. Yeah. And then uh, Jinder and Shinsuke. I actually think this was probably Jinder's best match in the WWE so far. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Come on. I mean... Look who he's that working with. Yeah, so. exactly. That's why. It was fine. I liked yeah. his, I liked the match where he won the title, actually. Like, I liked that. Yeah. Randy Against Randy? Match. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, I I wasn't as upset with this match as a lot of people were. But what were they upset with? The finish? Just that it was, like, a lackluster match, and it's the same way Jinder Mahal wins all his matches. Mm-hmm. And, but that's yeah. what he does. Yeah. yeah. He's but, yeah. But, so, but I'm also not as down on Jinder as, like, anyone else. Oh. So. Yeah. So, but there was a lot of times when I'm watching the match and I'm seeing missed opportunities there, where the people, where they had the people and they didn't capitalize on it, on it, you know. Like at one point when you know Shinsuke does that thing where yeah. it's almost like the DX yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. he goes, "Come on!" <laughs> and then the people pop, but then didn't follow it up with anything. Like there was just, I, I just felt like there wasn't. 
and I know there's a, there there might be a uh, communication, sure. situ, you know, uh, problem there. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure, but I think Shinsuke speaks pretty damn good English. Yeah. Um, regardless, I it was still a good match, man, and and it was fine. I just uh, I can understand people being disappointed that you know they wanted to see Shinsuke win. I I eventually think he's going to be a world champion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yes, definitely. But this main event, holy lord, so good. Amazing. So good. Amazing. And some people still found something to bitch about. Oh, Brock Lesnar, he got carted off so he could go back and rest. and duh, duh, duh. You know, shut shut up. Are these, are these people who've never seen a wrestling match before? No, there's those people that just sit and look for shit to bitch about. Right. And they can't even, they can't enjoy anything because they're just looking for shit to pick apart and bitch about. I ruled, man. This match that was really amazing. Good. Yeah. They had a lot of awesome spots. Killed the announcement, the announcer table, yeah. the chair spot. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was exciting and I cannot wait to see Brock and Braun. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, love that Reigns took the pin. Yeah. Same. Yeah, that's fine. And that's that's another thing where it's like they learned their lesson. Like when they sent out Reigns to be the next to last person to lose the Royal Rumble to Ron, Randy Orton. Yeah. Like that's the most brilliant thing they've done in years. Because it's like if you're going to have Randy Orton win the Royal Rumble in 2017, that's that's the only way you get people to cheer for that. Yeah. And same thing with Brock. Because like people claim that they're tired of Brock, they're not tired of Brock. No just way. Tired of Brock. But still, if 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 Brock had pinned Joe or Strowman. It wouldn't have been the reaction that they got from him pinning Reigns. And the, the thing about uh, Brock right now is, I'm loving the and it's and it's ever since the the Goldberg matches, yeah. we now know that Brock Lesnar ha- is is vulnerable. Like there he there are chinks in the armor. There yeah. are things you can do to him that he can sell now. Yeah, and I love that. I love that. You got when you're a monster like Brock Lesnar, you have to have a chink in the armor. Yeah, mm-hmm. have to. And every time him and Sturman were in the ring together, it was electric. Yes. And he never germined him once. And they freaking teased it with like, you know, yeah. um, you know, they had the big the big stare down and then the guys other guys came in and ruined it. Yeah. And they shit canned them back out and yeah. then they went at it. Perfect. It's great. It's Perfect. Be, that match is gonna Yeah, really when it when it happens, it's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to see someone manhandle Brock the way Brock manhandles people. That's so, yeah. like picking up running power slam on the table. Pick you up again. Another running power slam on the table. It's like Makes wow, superhuman. Yeah. Yeah. That all that outside the ring stuff called back like every Franz Truman thing ever because he hucked the chair at Reigns and Joe and then he turned something over onto Brock and he threw that stairs. That I mean, legit, those stairs are I mean, easy a hundred pounds mm. easily. Somebody said, oh, Diamond Plate only weighs this much. I'm just saying. I picked the freaking stairs up before. Right. They're easily 100 pounds or more. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And he threw them through the what air. does nothing. It was just like, when remember the old Incredible Hulk show at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when he would throw stuff and go, that's what it reminded me of. It cuts to another shot. Yes. Just, the Incredible Hulk threw a bear once. That yeah. reminded, this is what exactly. this reminded yeah. me of. Yeah. So, all right. SummerSlam weekend. Amazing. I, I I just you know I just we don't have time to go into Monday Raw Monday Night Raw and SmackDown I don't think do we? Yeah. Just Bobby Roode debuted. That's the yeah. biggest news. Yeah. Bobby Roode, Shelton Benjamin, and but John Cena. Cass got injured. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Out yeah, nine poor months. Guy. Yeah, sucks. Really weird way. Oh, uh, one last thing that we should talk about: Oscar reportedly suffered a broken, broken collarbone. Yeah. Is yeah. that legit, John? <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't see where that would you know. Where that story would benefit them storyline-wise, yeah. um, you know, 
That's a tough one. I've broken my collarbone before and like separated shoulders, clavicles, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I don't, separated shoulder you can work through, depending on the degree of separation. But a broken collarbone, I think probably a good idea not to. How long are you usually out for an injury like that? Uh, I don't know. Um, six weeks, maybe. Yeah, Something bad. like that. So, all right. So that was the recap of SummerSlam and NXT, and now yeah, we'll talk to Kenny Omega? Yeah, well, let's get get some of the, the obligatory stuff out of the way, like, you know, social media and uh, all that stuff. <laughs> Pro wrestling tees. <laughs> Celebrity voice. Um, so you can follow us on AfterBuzz TV, on Twitter, The Real Xbox. Um, celebritybm.com uh, slash Sean Waltman. Yep. Um, so you can get all of that, all that stuff, like any celebrity birthday shout-outs or any, pretty much any type of shout-outs. Yeah. Um, IG, XPOC12360. Facebook, XPOC12360 Show. And then also on Facebook, they can yes. sign up for the newsletters. They can cool. sign up for the newsletter, which is the next one is out September 1st, and they can sign up on Facebook. And then also buy you can buy all those uh, sh- all the shirts at Pro Wrestling Tees slash Sean Waltman and also iTunes five stars don't bother give anything else and le- keep on leaving your comments on YouTube we all read them even though some of you guys think we don't um, we, we <laughs> yes, do we read do. them we do take them in consideration you know. I do like okay just so everyone knows that watches on YouTube and uh, comments I do read the comments so. and I take them to heart <laughs> even the ones that are. Yeah. Even people are, are trying like, to be assholes. S my D. We read them all. So, yeah. Let's take a break. All Let's right. Break. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to come back with the cleaner, Kenny Omega. What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of One Man's Midlife Crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Legrasso here. We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio, right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there or be square, whatever that means. Joining us now, uh, we have the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion. His name is The Cleaner, Kenny Omega. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. So honored to have you on the show, man. So honored. And uh, I just want to first congratulate you on a hell of a uh, showing here at just the, uh, um, uh, the, the Long Beach show. Uh, the two night, yeah, the G1 special, um, two amazing matches. I loved your match with El- Elgin and uh, and then uh, Ishi after that, just amazing. And then, um, and then and then the G1 climax. Uh, just, you're showing just once again, man. Uh, two years in a row, just incredible stuff, man. I can't, I just, I can't, I can't say how much. You know, I I, I told you in a um, in in a. Uh, direct message though like your work and the things that I can tell you're thinking about out there are so far ahead of everyone's right now it's going to be hard for anyone to catch up <laughs> I mean if, as, if, if, if you think so well then thank you very much uh, I'm just you know I, I'm just trying to turn things into a different direction and um, I don't necessarily think it's right or wrong it's just the way that I like to wrestle I yeah. guess um so if there are fans of that out there 
and you know there appear to be a couple i'm i'm happy and i'm going to continue to try my best right on i'm not i don't want to go like too far back and like do the whole chronological mm-hmm. thing and talk about every like little piece of your career because i'm sure you talked about a lot of that stuff to at, at nauseum but uh i do want to talk about uh winnipeg because what a special sure. place that is man like um um you know, it's kind of the Arctic tundra up there, but man, a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool people have come out of there. And yeah. Do you have any Winnipeg memories by chance? I'm no. sure you've been there at least a couple times. Yeah, yeah, I do. But um, well, yeah, one of them is like watching Jericho perform like with his with his band there one time, and then like the Hell's oh, Angels. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then the Hell's Angels were there, and they ended up like some guy was giving me shit, and they ended up beating the shit out of this guy, throwing him out in a snowbank. <laughs> I was like, I hope I, got, I hope I don't owe you guys a favor. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was thinking about like I listened to your uh, to when you did uh, Jr's podcast, the Ross Report. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and you were talking about how you used to see a show called IWA, and I'm pretty sure you're talking about Tony, Tony Condello's prom- promotion, right? That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Well, they had a they had kind of a like a, a little of an, an arrangement with Eddie Sharkey's. Uh, group Pro Wrestling America, and I worked with them, you know, in the late '90s oh. or the, the late '80s. Sorry. So actually, you... for trivia, the my very first tour to America, um, I I actually met Eddie Sharkey himself. So it was, uh, yeah, it was. I I didn't work for him or anything, but uh, yeah. he was uh, outside of some shop, and uh, we had a little bit of a chat. So pretty cool that there's a connection there. He was outside of some shop. Yeah, just kind of <laughs> hanging out. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I yeah. hope that shop that took inventory after you. <laughs> that was really bad of me to say that. I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, anyways, um, yeah, man. Like that IWA. I was Tony Condello, and uh, you briefly touched on uh, like those death tours he used to run. Did you ever do any of those? Yeah, I did one, and. Um... I mean, Tony is one on record to say it was the worst one of all time. And, uh, you know, it was an experience that I really wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Can you it, explain it a little bit, of, what that what the death tour was? Sure, though? yeah. Well, um, from what I understand, it's changed drastically now. Tony actually spends a little more money on the, the travel and, <laughs> um, and the safety of, of the performers. But during my tour, we had three vans, and they're kind of like utility vans, like, you right. know, like, um, just like, plain white vans 16 passenger and, uh, vans yeah and, yeah and two of these vans would transport uh the ring and the sound equipment and then one van was just as designated for the wrestlers but all all vans would carry some staff or some or some wrestlers but there was one van that only had uh human passengers and then the other two had equipment as well um the thing with these tours is that uh even though um, I guess you could technically do it at any point in time. If you want to travel there by, like, land, you can only do it in winter because the entire perimeter of uh, this area is surrounded by, uh, like, a moat almost. No. So you can only drive there when the lakes are frozen over. So every winter, Tony runs these tours where, uh, you know, you drive over the, the lake and I guess about five or seven hours in, you know, there's your first stop. And then from there, you kind of just tour all throughout the innards of this area. And the stops will be anywhere from two hours to five hours. And then one time we drove 33 hours straight. And there's no hotels. There's not even 
signs of life, and there's only one man actually that knew the lay of the land, and it was like an internal map <laughs> that he had in his brain. And if he wasn't there, we wouldn't be able to get anywhere. So um, yeah. it was a, a wild ride, and you know when we'd get to the place, uh, there was a hotel one time, but any other time, you're put up in a clubhouse or you're sleeping on the gym floor. In the uh, arena you were working at, right? The school. At the venue? Yes, at, of course, yes, at the venue. <laughs> um, so you would, you'd get there the night before the show, or like if the morning of, and then, um, you know, sleep if you could, and <laughs> then set up the ring or whatever and, and do the show. And am I correct? And, in, and I'm, am I correct in saying that you had to bring your own food with you, or she didn't eat? Uh, it was suggested that you'd bring your own food, but they had these. Um, I guess they're kind of like, uh, like there was like a grocery store per every, um, I guess uh, reserve. Yeah. And everything was overpriced unless you had like a residence card for the place. So if you wanted to get. I remember some of the obscene prices. There was like seventeen dollars for a four-liter jug of milk. A box of four pizza pops was twenty-one dollars. So it was everyone tried to bring a cooler and tried to stock up completely, but there was no way to oh to have food for a month. But we tried our best. I'm curious yeah, as to how the, how the shows went. Like, did you go out there and try to kill it every night? Like you were, you know, at WrestleMania. <laughs> The, the, that was one good thing was the crowds were very appreciative and, and you know, something like um, a shoulder tackle would get an enormous pop. Yeah. So the finish could literally be anything, and and you could just go very baby-faced, very heel, yay-boo, and people would love it. So you could keep things very simple. You wouldn't have to put it on the line. You wouldn't have yeah. to... Um, you would never have to go off the top rope or do any dives or anything like that. Of course, I'm an idiot, so I did. That's but, what I was wondering. <laughs> looking back, yeah, yeah, looking back, you know, I never had to. Yeah, but in your mind, you kind of do at the time. Like, because I remember when I used to do those kind of shows with Jerry Lynn, never that death, never like to that extreme, right? But, right, you know, right. I, it didn't matter who was in the crowd. We were going out there, and I was diving outside the ring. He was diving on me. We were killing each other. That's true. And actually, like, that was kind of my first really lengthy tour. So for me, that was good money. And I just yeah. wanted to show that I wanted to be there and I wanted to get booked again. Yeah. So, just, you know, putting my best foot forward, like, hey, you know, I'm working hard every day. Here we are. Yeah. Um, did you guys ever, yeah, did, uh, you, did you ever go to the Pony Corral? Of course. Yeah. I, I mean, like, to, to wrestle or just to eat? Well, I mean, that was where all the boys used to go when we were in Winnipeg. Right. All, especially all the cheapskates yes, yes. that didn't want to buy their own food. They would show <laughs> up there just to get, you know, the free meal, uh, which is cool. Like, you know, um, uh, yeah. but I just thought it was it was, it was was great because um, it was it was such a, like, uh, uh, a tradition, you know? Yes, it was. Yeah, the Pony Corral in Winnipeg with wrestling was sort of synonymous um, with one another. Um, but uh, not not so much anymore. But about that the time when I was breaking in, it still had that reputation of being like the one stop restaurant for for pro wrestlers. Yeah, and then there, cool. kind of like how um, you know, there's the uh, there's Ribera in Japan, the steakhouse oh, yeah. for all the wrestlers. It would there. be the Ribera of Winnipeg, actually. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, would it. be it would yes. be yep. And do you remember the hotel we used to stay? At? It was like the Marine. It was some crazy hotel, and it had. Anyways, who cares about all that? I can talk to you about that later. Sorry about that. 
<laughs> no, no, no. Some people might find it interesting. I don't. I don't know. I don't get to talk about it too often. Yeah, but you know. And uh, did you know Bob Holiday? Uh, I had only met him in passing. Oh, okay. Never really had like a full conversation with him or anything. But he was like yeah, a crime reporter. Greeted, greeted and, him, said hi. Yeah, he was like a crime reporter in Winnipeg and ended up doing some stuff with WWE. But anyways, moving forward, you're you're where? How long before you ended up at uh, at in developmental? Did I did I? ever meet you there i think you were gone by then right by the time no I uh we never met there uh we have, we i are... met a, a few fellows um that that stopped by to help us with our training but uh that was in 2006 right so i was there from 2006 to seven i guess a little bit into the the 2007 year yeah um and yeah it, uh it again like it... i'm sorry. sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say like I don't like really remember you being there, Kenny. Just to be honest with you, no, I didn't do much. I mean, it was. Uh, I, I mean, I was on their TV, like the the Deep South Wrestling TV. Yeah. Uh, when I first arrived, I was used primarily, of course, as enhancement talent. Um, I didn't really have any strong storylines, or you know, I had, I did a main event or two. Yeah. But. Um, was never really a heavily pushed dude there, um, but I mean it, it was a lot like the the northern tours. Yeah. It it wasn't pleasant while I was there doing it, but then I look back at it and and it was an experience that you know helped shape the person that I am today. And I wouldn't trade the experience for anything in the world because it really helped me see more of what you know the business end of wrestling is like, what it's like there. Um, you know the highs and the lows, and yeah. meeting some cool people. So, um, did you get yeah. any, did you and, get did you get anything out of it as far as being able to like that that helped you uh, cultivate uh, the image and the persona and just the, your in ring style that you have now? I would say that the, the the biggest things that helped me moving forward were you know Dave Taylor was there and he yeah. had some classes and. Before going to developmental, I had next to no fundamentals. And um, that was sort of, um, you know, doing cool chain wrestling and, and you know, using a lot of holds and stuff. That was sort of the kick on the indies. So right. when I had left developmental, had I not had those fundamentals and been able to do those types of things, I wouldn't have been able to have a career in the indies at all, which would have meant, you know, promoters wouldn't trans me in which would also mean i wouldn't get the bookings and then you know i wouldn't have ended up in japan either so yeah. that was a big thing we did a lot of promo practice and um i did a lot of stuff locally in winnipeg where i was from but they would put you in situations where you know cut a baby face promo cut a heel promo right. you know this time you're this kind of character this time you're this kind of character so that gave me um that type of experience in front of a camera and you have to hit a hard time um so that that experience was invaluable as well yeah um but aside from that mm, well those are the two big ones the thing is is i know yeah. like i can uh, we don't have to get all into it uh but mm -hmm. i can totally understand how your experience there might not have been a pleasant one at times so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I know and, why. And you know what? The, a, a, a part of the thing, too, was that my mind wasn't where it should have been. And I don't think I was mature enough to really yeah. handle 
I guess maybe the the opportunity or the responsibility of being there. Um, I even before going to WWE, my goal was still going to Japan, and when I was scouted to go to WWE, I was actually the reason why I was at that camp where I was scouted was I was trying to get into a dojo in Japan. Okay. But instead, I got the offer to come to WWE, and I thought, well, this is also an opportunity. I'd be an idiot to say no, yeah. so I'm going to give this a shot. But even then, at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, Japan, 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 Japan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when things weren't the way I thought they would be, or, you know, they weren't fun, or whatever, I just kept thinking, wow, it, I bet it wouldn't be like this in Japan. Yeah. So, you know... Even even my own attitude was kind of getting soured a little bit because of my mindset at the time. Did you ask? Did you ask to be released, or did they did they release you? No, I, I asked for my release. I'd sort of um, well, we we'd been starting to get like uh, sort of guest trainers. Yes. And uh, one of the cool guys that came down to help us out was Greg Gagne. Oh wow! And um, he was a real big fan of the way uh, I guess me and the way I would work and stuff. And we you know we'd work together a lot, and he would try to offer ways for me to get uh, to have more input on the shows and do more things of value. But in the end, um, a lot of those were were shot down, and so I started to come up with my own storyline ideas. Right. And I started to pitch like two or three ideas. Some of them were ridiculous, but some of them I thought were genuinely pretty entertaining. And um, I didn't hear anything back, and so I was starting to think, wow, there's really no light at the end of this tunnel. I can't just be a guy that's, well, I just felt like I was meant for more than just being a guy that was on, you know, doing jobs every second week. That's right. When I was training harder than everyone, when I was nailing all the physical drills, when I was practically training the class, you know, I was always like the guy, you know, show, show everyone how to do this, show everyone how to do that. Um, you know, all the squats, the push-ups, the crunches, you know, I'm always the guy finishing first or, or being one of the only ones that, that, that does finish it. I felt that I was putting in the time, I was working hard, and there was no, you know, fruits to the labor. And uh, I, I I loved a lot of the guys there. Um, a lot of the guys were real kind to me, super fun to work with. Um, but I just didn't see a future for myself there. Yeah. And I felt that, you know, I'm a nobody, and I get it. I came from nowhere. Um, have no name value and so I don't blame anyone for not thinking that I'm anything special sure that's so fine. what I wanted to do was uh, was get out and and prove my own value um, by whether it be you know going out in the Indies or going to Japan which is what I end up doing yeah. I just wanted to show that you know what you think of me now isn't what I actually am and I can actually offer more to you guys yeah but it's hard to take a chance on someone when you when you don't really know what they can or can't do. And I don't blame anyone for looking at me as, you know, just a kind of a bump monkey, you yeah. know, a guy that can take good bumps and, and do good jobs for guys. That's because what... I was just kind of a skinny dude. Sure. Um I wasn't I wasn't really you know, I didn't looking back at it, I wasn't trying to appeal to be in a better position. I was just kind of working hard with the jobs that were given to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think I made the right choice in the end, but I don't 
harbor any ill will towards the system or the people that were there at all. Were you able to show any character or charisma while you were there? When you were pitching uh, these ideas? In, yeah, I, I definitely was, but this is all behind the scenes stuff. Like in our promo classes and stuff, um, you know, we'd get graded, and all my grades are always like top of the class, but no one would ever know it because, um, you know, Kenny Omega in Deep South Wrestling was just kind of like a, you know, opening match or second match or, you know, getting squashed by, you know, big Russian dudes or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was able to show kind of what I was capable of in the character department, but not on TV. Uh, I was never given really any interviews on TV, no live mic time. Uh, but we all cut promos, and they're all, I think, sent to the office, and we're all graded, and my grades are all fine. Um, but yeah, no one was able to see, really, that potential um, on the shows. Didn't you cut this infamous promo at the end about being a plumber or something, where you just didn't care anymore, and you knew you were leaving, and you just cut this ridiculous promo? Oh, I mean, <laughs> there was... There was... Um, you know, one one class day where we would come up with another character, one that wasn't yourself. So I came up with this character that was named Plumber Lou Dooley, <laughs> and um, which which is actually kind of a rib on a guy that that actually wrestled locally here in Winnipeg, whose name was Plumber Lou Dooley, and that was a, that was a rib on him as well. But Plumber Lou Dooley made a comeback, and and I I cut a promo as a plumber, and um, I think I had guests walk in on the promo. It was like a like a like an improv shtick, but it was pretty funny. I had everyone in stitches. It was it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Well, and then Bill at the time was like, you know, come to my office. Let's have a talk. And uh, he said, Well, what in the hell is Plumber Lou Dooley? He says it was entertaining, and you put more de devotion into Plumber Lou Dooley than you've done with anything here up to this point. He says so I might as well repackage you as Plumber Lou Dooley and send you out. I'm like, how would that make you feel? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, at this point, it might be more fun, you know, because I was already pretty, like, not sour, but it just, nothing, nothing was really fun there at that point in time. So I was like, you know, go ahead, make me Plumber Lou do it. Like, it might be fun. Well, but he... I, I, get, I get where he was coming from, too. He was kind of saying, like, you know, you should have put all of that thought and effort into something you actually wanted to do. But, yeah. You have a lot more fun than I think most pro wrestlers do, and you always have as long as I've been following your career. But while we're talking about goofy stuff and having fun, one of the most fun things I've ever been able to see live is a match between John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt and John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt at PWG. I don't know if you have any oh, you memories. Oh, live. Yeah, I saw it live. I don't wow. know if you have any memories of you and Brian Danielson back at PWG just having the time of your lives. Yeah, that was a real fun one. I, I am eternally thankful for him for giving giving me the go ahead to, <laughs> to to go forward with this ridiculous idea of a match. And I mean that that sort of in itself is a funny story. But go ahead. Um, <laughs> okay, Can I, let I'll me get this it. out of the way I'll real quick. It. John Jacob Jinkleheimer. <laughs> His name is my name too. too. Anyways, okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, we are hanging out, all of us, before the show, and um, I believe we are turning in our room cards or whatever, and we're waiting for the rides to show up so we can get transported to the venue. And uh, Brian was talking about 
kind of you know funny songs that that really stick in your head from when you were a child. So we went through a bunch, um, and I had brought up the, the John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt one, and um, I'd, I'd brought up that it was featured in this show called Lamb Chop's Play Along. I don't know if you guys know. Lewis and Lamb Chop. Yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah, hell yeah, Sherry yeah, Lewis. Okay. Yeah, so he knew what it was, and he was like, oh, my God, yeah, I know that show. So we started singing it together, and then the lightning bolt struck. I'm like, come on, Brian, we got to do this. And he's like, what? I was like, you're kidding me. I was like, no, we have to. And I was like, listen. I said, hear me out here, Brian. He says, you're pretty much known as the guy that has these awesome matches with everyone. People literally call you the best in the world. And sure, we could go out there today, and we could have a pretty darn good match, but then at the end of the day, what's it going to be? It's just going to be another good match that you had. Who cares? So let's do something memorable. And he's like, okay, I'm listening. I said, well, we, we already just talked about it. It's John Jacob Jingle Hyra Schmidt. And he's like, well, what does that even mean? And, you know, it's sort of, at, off the top of my head, I sort of laid out this groundwork for, for how it would, it, would, it would be placed into this match. And then he was like, he's like, I think it's going to be real fun. He says, but, he says, man, he says, I got a Steven Regal in the back of my head telling me right now that this is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, no problem, whatever. We'll just go out there and work. The do si do the so dosi do spot into the backside is sweet, though, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, see that match is like already so far back in the past that I, I mean the dosi do into the backslide's got to make a comeback at some point. Hell yes, yeah. I'm begging you. I dare you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're at the venue and we haven't spoken about the match or, or what we're gonna do. And then Brian comes up to me with a smile on his face and he goes, "Let's do it." <laughs> and then it ended up the way it ended up. Do you run so, that by Super Dragon before you do it? No. Oh, hell no. No. Uh, almost everything that I do, I know that if I put it by him first, he's going to hate it. And now it's at the point where I've, I've done such strange things over the years where I think if I did tell him what I was going to do in advance, he'd go like, okay, I'm just going to trust you because, you know, generally it all gets over anyway. So just do it. Nice. Yeah, we have a pretty good trust relationship now, so. So but but I, I still, as a rule of thumb, don't don't like telling him about stupid ideas because he's pretty into like big moves, big falses, and just oh, yeah. going nuts. Oh yeah. So speaking of goofy or strange things, what was your experience like working for DDT, and what would you consider the most outrageous thing you did with them? Wow. I mean, there's a couple things. Um, one match in particular. I did in front of a green screen because the finished product was me wrestling a 50-foot giant. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was pretty pretty cool. Uh, it was mostly like uh, it was pretty much just a movie. It was all done in like like we we'd filmed everything beforehand and, and just aired it on the screen afterwards. So I guess that isn't a real match. Um, in terms of matches, some of my favorites we would have this thing called a rock and roll death match and it's some of my proudest work there but can never be shown because of copyright factors you wrestle a match and at random 
you know, as as random as it can be, of course, you know, we'd work it into the spots. Um, music would randomly, quote unquote, play, and you'd have to stop what you're doing and dance. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like a simple idea, but the way that we worked in the 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 dancing into the spots and the types of dances dependent on the song, I thought was really creative, and I think a lot of people would like it and not and not shit all over it. <laughs> we because. I, a lot of people think that, that comedy is sort of a cop-out to not wrestling seriously, but I actually would argue that comedy is much more difficult than wrestling seriously. Oh, yeah. Because you have to be creative in almost everything that you do if you want the comedy to make sense within the realms of pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. So we did like three of these rock and roll death matches, which became kind of serious. Uh, not serious, but which became kind of like a feud thing. Like it was, it was a rivalry of the rock and roll death match, and all th all three of them. I wish I could show or throw online or whatever, but we used all copyrighted music, so it probably can't happen. But I loved it. Um, so there's that. Um, well, and they, they, if WWE oh, Network, good. if WWE Network ever got the footage, they would just like you know, generic. just put some generic ass music over every little you know piece. So, anyways, it would so, run. Yeah, it kind of sounds the same. There were some like yeah. See, that's the thing. Like you could do that. You could put generic music that kind of sounded like the music that we used. But for example, like when we would wrestle and then the Macarena would turn on <laughs> it'd have to be the Macarena right. because you're doing the Macarena you know what I mean yep. oh this yeah. sounds so, so it, 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 I really it, want to watch this you know moments like that which are important to have the real music for sure and the thing is is DDT you know you know uh, and we'll get into this in a little bit but you know like I, I've heard the, the usual suspect shit all over some of your DDT stuff uh, mm -hmm. And the thing is, is when you go to a DDT show, you kind of know, you know that this is that type of a wrestling show. Like, and, and I don't, I, yeah. like, like I Chikara. Just, yes, exactly. And it's a different, yep. it's just a different thing, man. And like, you can do both. You yep. can do both. I mean, much like how there's a WWE universe. Yeah. Um, you know, the word universe is kind of tossed around a lot, but DDT has a universe and it has its own niche crowd. They know that when Yoshihiko, the, the blow-up doll, that's a wrestler, is involved in a match, they believe that he is living, that he is real. And in a way, because there's that invested emotion, you can feel the thoughts and the, and, and the cheers from the crowd, and you as a wrestler start to believe as well. And you almost forget that you are wrestling an inanimate object and it's just a doll and you start working and selling for this thing like it was real and I took a lot of pride in the stuff that I did with a doll because I didn't want it to look like I was a kid playing with a toy yeah um, again going back to what I had said you know it's easy to wrestle seriously it really is but to work a good comedy match to work with a doll but make people believe to make people bite on the falses, to make people laugh or say, you know, this is entertaining, to want them to show their friends, that's tough to do. Yeah. And when people ask me, like, well, aren't you embarrassed? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? No, I'm not. It's actually some of my most proudest work. 
and, and I don't blame you. Mark in the booth here. Um, one of the things that got me to, to start following you as a wrestler was your work with Yoshihiko because you were doing the uh, Zangief uh, spinning lariat. You did Zangief's ultimate as well. So wh yep. where, when did the decision come to add the video game stuff into your into your repertoire? And, and, and I'll, I have another question after that. <laughs> well, um, I actually started doing the Hadouken uh, locally here in Winnipeg, and um, at no point was it ever like, okay, I was throwing an invisible fireball. It was always like a, a palm strike, which is an actual legit maneuver, but um, I guess doing it was sort of like a rebirth of Kenny Omega, because I started doing it after I came back from uh, developmental. And I was sort of wondering, you know, where do I go from here? Do I even continue with wrestling? What is it that I want to do with it if I continue? And then I made the decision that I'm going to be myself. Instead of stressing about all these characters that I, that I thought of and, and drew up and suggested to, you know, WWE Office and Bill DeMott, which weren't really me. They were just ideas that I thought might make the company money. I'm just going to be myself, try to have fun with it, and if people don't like me, well, then they don't like me, and then I'll just disappear, and then it's over. You know what I mean? But if they do like me, then I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing again. I'm going to fall in love with wrestling again or, or keep loving wrestling. And, you know, that in itself will hopefully shine through, and people will believe in the character that is Kenny Omega because it's just me. So I thought about, okay, what, what is me? What, what the hell am I? Who the hell am I? So I was like, I, I really don't know. I like wrestling and I like video games. So I came up with doing the Hadouken. And um, that almost more than anything caught on uh, locally where I'm from, on American Indies, and in Japan as well. It just sort of became like, oh, Kenny Omega, the Hadouken guy. Yeah, I know you. Um, so when it came to doing uh, other Street Fighter moves, you know, I actually played Street Fighter, like, really seriously at a, at a pretty high level, and I was using Zangief at the time. So that was a sort of, like, a fan mark moment for me was to do the character that I was using Ultra in an actual match, and I could only ever do it to a doll, right? Because so, it's a German <laughs> suplex a, and the then a catching yeah, exactly. backbreaker and a spinning pile driver, all in one right. in one. I, yeah. yeah, the the German into the backbreaker is doable. Like I could do that to a human, but tossing the guy up in the air and catching him in a spinning pile driver was kind of where I drew the line. Was he <laughs> gonna try it? Oh, you, you I don't know. You got Bola coming up. Maybe we'll see it there. <laughs> is there anybody <laughs> light enough? Yeah. All right, thank you, Kenny. What were you? What was your last no, no question? Problem. What was your last question, Marcus? Well, he he had brought up how how uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this yeah. competitive scene, and I know this isn't what this show is about. We'll get back to wrestling in a second, but how do you split the time to spend enough time training for like the Capcom Cup or things of that nature with your professional right. wrestling? Yeah, it's really tough. Um, I mean, of course, time to play is really limited, so you have to maximize any chance you get to 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 be on a stick. Um, but w luckily with Street Fighter V, it's a more simple game, and it's a game kind of based around, you know, numbers, frame data. So as long as you have the information and you kind of get the idea behind how the game is played, you can just, as long and, and, and as long as your execution is, is half decent, you can 
have, know all you know have your knowledge watch a lot of streams watch a lot of um, you know guys displaying their tech and watch high level matchups and it will translate quite well once you start actually trying to implement it into a real game so if I even play once a week, I can stay pretty sharp with Street Fighter V just nice. because it's kind of a more simple game than any other Street Fighter was. But yeah, I wish I could play more, and if I could, I'd be much better. But um, at this point, I'm just uh, happy that I can meet up with a lot of the, the better players and actually play some pretty fun casual sets of them and not be completely embarrassed. <laughs> well, speaking of scheduling, how grueling was the G1 for you, and especially wrestling, in your case, 10 main event caliber matches? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, and um, I, I, was a, I, I, had, I was anxious for this year's tournament because I wasn't sure what my story going into the tournament would be, what the outcome would be. Um, we're pretty much kept into the dark, in the dark until the very end. So what I wanted to do was kind of follow the same game plan that I did last year, which is just tell very different stories between each and every match. And just even if I'm not going for, like, match of the night, I just want my match to be visually very different than the other matches on the card. Because um, some guys... You know, whether it's due to their own, you know, physical limitations or because it's their style or because of how it's it's the way they want to work, they're going to have the same kind of match every night. Yep. And, you know, for better or for worse, that's just what you're going to get. <coughs> and at the very least, um, uh, as long as I know that that's what their plan is going into it, I can arrange sort of my style to look visually different than that. And... Um, yeah, I, I was really happy with the way things went. I went out of my comfort zone more than a few times, and then when push came to shove, the uh, you know I was told that yes, I will be going to the finals again, and um, you know I had the big one with Okada, and then the day after I had the the one with Naito, which was really cool because we had some really good chemistry last year, and I was glad we could mix it up again, and in a situation where the stakes were even higher. So, yeah, we were tired and beat up and all that, but, you know, we, I had kind of saved enough in the tank to push myself to the place I had to go to for those last two. And I think you did a little bit more than kind of, man, because I, I, you, know, <laughs> I, you knocked well, it out of the park two nights in a row. So, hey, yeah, you know, I mean, you, just, you were talking about uh, comfort zones. And, you know, one of your matches uh, during that tour uh, brought a lot of the wrestlers I know out of their, and people in the business out of their comfort zone when you guys had your feet tied together. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings me to, like, what you were saying earlier about uh, doing comedy well and, and, you know, just how you, how you, how you uh, phrase that. And, you know, and it, may, it reminds me of, um, like, the Twitter exchange, like Lance Storm and, and Davey Boy Smith Jr., uh, more David, right. more Harry. David Boy Smith Jr. kind of shit, oh, shit on there. No, it was it was all Harry. Yeah. Um, I I love Lance. I ton of respect for Lance, and we get along actually real well together. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean that that has since been you know dealt with, and it's water under the bridge now. Yeah. But at the time, you know, um, 
Harry had made some condescending comments on on Twitter, and it was all just he was just a little upset or whatever that he wasn't booked as part of the G1, and that's fine. Um, but uh, I, I guess when you make backhanded comments towards people that are on the same roster as you, yeah. Um, you know, eventually, someone's going to have to say something. And it was about the fourth, it was third or fourth time it had happened. So, I mean, I I was just in a bad place. I was I was annoyed with it because here I am on tour, wrestling almost every day and busting my ass, and and we have someone who's supposed to be part of our team, kind of kind of burying me on a, on a public forum right. on social media. I just felt I had to defend myself, and maybe I shouldn't have, and I should have dealt with it in private. But you know, what's done is done, and uh, we're cool with each other. Everything's all fine. <clears throat> and That's it's just—it cool. was a case of both of our emotions getting the best of us. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, and what I mean that what you said. Pull that back up, Marcus. I was just about ready to read it, and then you took it off the screen. Okay, never mind. It, just forget it. Um, where were we? Uh, so, uh, speaking on a lighter note, your match with Toru Yanu, uh, what was it like wrestling with the tape around your ankles? Because I mean, there was a lot of like balancing. How was that? <laughs> yeah, um, surprisingly more difficult than I thought it would be. I, I mean, I, I just figured it would be easy to do the stuff that we had called, and I thought like, okay. Um, if you punch me and I pretend to lose my balance, you know, like people will laugh or whatever. But if you try to sell anything, you're naturally just, uh, you're going to lose your balance. Yeah. I'm surprised it actually didn't spill, take a spill on, on the ring. Here was my um, issue with that. Be... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I'm so sorry. I'm, I... Oh, that's fine. Oh, I was just going to say, like, like, bouncing to the ropes, I thought I would be able to bounce to the ropes super fast. I thought I'd, like, bound... <laughs> Like a like a little bunny rabbit, yeah. and it was difficult because the ring's like giving as you're bouncing. Oh, it was tough. And then I thought like, okay, you know, I'll do like this this shoulder tackle. I'm gonna look like Road Warrior Hawk, like yeah. hitting this guy, you know. And then I watched it back, and it just looked like the weakest, shittiest shoulder tackle. But I swear to God, I threw that thing as best as I could given the situation. Here was my that I was laughing about this, and I was I was gonna make a, this just like a facetious like. It's not a comment, like just kidding around. Uh, my my issue with it was when you when you hopped into the ropes, uh, he just yeah. he just stood there in the middle of the ring instead of hopping towards you, so you didn't have to go all the way across the ring to tackle him. That was my right. only oh, issue man, with it. That a lot, actually. <laughs> that was what exposed the business to me, not the whole, not the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> Kenny, while we're talking about the grueling schedule. Um, yeah. How I know that New Japan and Japanese wrestling in general, you work a very demanding style, especially when you're on television. And I just wanted to know how how much is it on everyone's minds, given what happened to Shibata, about the the very hard hitting, unprotected headbutt sort of style that a lot of people do over there. Yeah, um, that's a very good question. Uh, I am definitely. I mean, more than ever, kind of, and it, it's, it's sort of a strange statement to make, um, but I'm trying to make it clear through the way that I work that I'm very much avoiding that style. And the thing is, like, by saying that, I'm doing it, but I'm disguising it, so how would anyone know? 
Um, but it's stuff like with forearms, I'm not even making contact anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before it's kind of like, okay, you, you, you make a little snug and you can kind of get a little bit of, of contact. But, you know, so the G1, you're wrestling matches almost every day. You don't need to be getting rocked by forearms or palm strikes or yeah. whatever every day of, of the tour. So it's stuff like that. Like I was relying more on chops than ever, um, you know, more or less faker stuff. Uh, some of the guys, you know, they don't want to change what they have been doing all these years. They don't want to reinvent their own wheel, and that's their own choice. But if I work with guys like that nowadays um, in the matchmaking process, I'll just kind of say, like, hey, we need to be careful about the message that we're putting out there, considering the accidents that have happened, which, of course, were accidents, but we need to kind of take down the risk percentage as much as we can and show that, you know, we are actually the kings of strong style. And by doing that, it's not just by being the toughest, like, yeah, we can absorb a ton of damage to our brains, but, you know, we can do this, and we can do this safely, and it looks like we're killing each other. I think that's the most important part. Especially those knees, man. Those knees don't look, they look like you're making contact still, bro. (laughs) Oh, the knees. Yeah. Yeah, um, I only actually make contact with one of them. And it's the one where the guy is near the ropes, and it's uh, it's uh, it's not a knee that comes up into the person. It's actually just my shin pushing. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a how do I say? It, it's it's more of like a push against the you know the body or whatever the side of the head. Gotcha. Um, which is why I always tell the guy that I'm working with use your arm as a guide. And um, put your put your arm against the like hold the the middle rope, yeah. So that you have that that space there to 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 lean in to lean out of the knee, so it looks like I'm killing you, but I'm I'm literally just kind of pushing you. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. it. But like in terms of like the other ones, like all the standing ones, those are coming up to the the left of the head and just kind of make contact with the chest. Well, in the G1, I mean, in the G1 final in your match against Naito, there was a spot where uh, the pile driver that was supposed to go through the table, but I think Naito slipped a little bit, and it didn't happen on the table. Uh, what was your thought after when that happened? Um, I mean, he pile drove me off the table, and when it happened, I heard the gasps from the crowd, and I was right beside the Japanese commentary table. And I heard the commentary table saying, oh, I think he scraped his head in the corner of our table. So I thought, oh, that's cool. I can roll with that. <laughs> so I sold, it like, I sold it like I was possibly sliced open on the top of my head from the table. Japanese but tables are the hardest tables of all time. Exactly, yeah. So it was very believable that something went wrong. Oh, my well, God. Um, and you know, Naito's—he's really good. None of his moves are dangerous whatsoever. I didn't—I was completely fine with it. Um, I just sold it like I was cut open and needed stitches. Well, in this match, there was a very scary moment where he looks like he's going for a superplex on you, and you lean forward but yep. kind of lose your balance, and you almost DDT him on the ring post. What right. was the reaction um, during that match of that whole situation going on? Yeah, so. Again, that was a situation where um, <laughs> it was supposed to happen, not supposed to happen at that timing, 
I was getting ready to do it, and I had slipped. And I thought Naito's just destroyed himself on the post. I was, I felt like, I felt terrible, for one. You look, you look concerned. And I thought, okay. Yeah, and I thought, like, when I peel his hair back, he, I'm, I'm expecting to see a gusher. So yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm getting ready to throw some Hulk Hogan punches at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, wait, there's nothing. And then I asked him after. I was like, how bad did you hit the post? He's like, I didn't hit it at all. I was like, it looked like you killed it. And he said, nope, didn't hit it at all. He's like, come on, don't, don't bullshit me. Don't lie to me. Like, just tell me. I'm so sorry. He's like, no. He says, I know that it looked like I hit it, but I didn't hit it. I was like, wow. Well, thank goodness. And that was that. I liked your, ma- I liked your uh, Naito match as much as I did the Okada match the night before, which was amazing. Uh, oh, but thank I you just, it was, I, there's just something about Naito's, uh, his whole persona, everything, like his, the, the, the whole package, you know? And, and I just, I really thought you guys had incredible chemistry as well. Yeah, like uh, like I said before, like we our groups never get to mesh because um, we're both supposed to be considered you know heel units. Right. Um, so storyline wise, the Bullet Club never faces Lij. So for me to face any of those guys, it can only happen really in in um, tournament style yeah. format. So I didn't wrestle Naito at the U.S. stuff, and I don't think we clashed at all in any of the tag league stuff either so aside from the one g1 match that we had last year um yeah i I get to work the guy once a year (laughs) and you know the fact that we have this instantaneous chemistry together which is uh you know kind of rare just to meet a dude that you don't even really know he's not your friend and and you work so well together with him you know it's, it's really nice and really cool i always look forward to doing anything with him and the fact that so much was on the line in the match uh made it even better you know if you get to work once with a guy once a year um to have something on the line and and the stakes be high makes it real fun to put something together that's that's real special yeah so the 10 guys you wrestled whose style was the hardest to uh to adapt to Mm, that's a very good question Oh. Ooh. Denise over here bringing the fire. Sorry. I had to know. All yeah, these trick yeah. questions, um, loaded questions. I, okay, I was I was most worried actually before the Tamatonga match hmm. because I really wanted there to be a reason for us to fight. And I was worried going into it that there wouldn't be a reason and I know that the bookers and everyone expect, expects us to take each other's heads off, mm-hmm. but why would we? You know, we're part of the same group. We're supposed to be friends. We're supposed to be brothers. Um, so coming up with that story or having a reason to to have me or him want to kill the other guy, that sort of left me a little stressed um, because, you know, everything's always last minute. As soon as one match is done, you're already in preparation for the next match. So I knew that at most I was going to have one day to prepare and come up with a story for this thing. And for the most part, like when guys were wrestling their fellow, uh, their um, stable mates or whatever, they would just go at each other right off the gong and make it look like they wanted to kill each other. And it makes no sense to me. So I wanted to make sure that there was at least something, something more than just I want to beat you in a match because 
well, it's a G1 and why not? Uh, so that had me a little stressed, but we came up with a, you know, a nice little story, and in the end it was fine. But that one had me kind of worried for a little bit. Kenny, uh, I know that you and the Bucks have a very specific relationship with Dave Meltzer, and you guys specifically have come up sort of being part of the generation that respects and loves Dave Meltzer. So what was it mm-hmm. like for you to discover that you had been part of the very first six-star match ever of all time? Oh, um, I mean, I remember that we had a show the day after Tokyo Dome, and um, I was actually at the venue and getting ready for my match, and it was just like a fun little 10-man tag, and Scott Norton was in it, which was like real cool, super fun to work with him. Awesome. Um, So I was just happy. I was happy that... The Tokyo Domain was over, went off without a hitch. You know, it seemed that the reviews, I mean, you know, from the live crowd and the live audience and from, you know, my followers on Twitter and stuff were saying some real nice comments and giving me positive feedback. So I was I was kind of on an emotional high. And then to segue from that into being able to work with Scott Norton was, was just real cool. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so I was, I was just having a, a, a gale time. And then someone had said, like, hey, Meltz just gave you, a, you know, the first ever six-star match. And I'm like, haha, yeah, right, whatever. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's a five-star scale, right? right. Like, <laughs> you'd think it'd have to be something really special. And uh, he's like, no, like, look, it's right here. So I was actually getting ready to go out, and this dude or whatever passes me a cell phone, and it had the write-up with the six stars on it, and it... I was like, if this isn't a typo, that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> and then, you know, did the match, had some fun, and uh, came back, and everyone, you know, was congratulating me on Twitter for the six-star match. And I was like, wow, this is like a real thing. I rem- and um, I remember yeah. Meltzer. And then I was like, okay, cool. It's like, I hope I never have to work with this guy ever again because <laughs> expectations are way too high now. <laughs> Well, then you followed it again. Yeah, and then, then, yeah, like, I think it was the next month or the next tour that I did for New Japan, they're like, yeah, um, we need, like, a guaranteed sellout, so we got to go back to that match already. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, what? I was like, this is, like, it was at a point where it's like, is a five-star match considered, like, a, you know, a letdown at this point? Yeah. (laughs) So Austin called me after that match and went, did you see that goddamn match with Kenny Omega and Okada? Holy, I mean, he was going nuts, man. And uh, we had a long conversation about that and about your, you know, being just, I mean, you know, you've already heard all this shit, people blowing smoke oh, up yeah, your ass. Yeah, I, yeah Austin was, yeah, we, we had a little bit of a chat and it was, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that it's just, I don't know, surreal to hear these people that I've never met before, but people that I've have such a high respect for, and they're reaching out to me to say such kind words. It's yeah. <laughs> well, to jump into right. something kind of different, this past weekend sure. was NXT Takeover, and Adam yep. Cole debuted. What were your thoughts yeah. on this situation and your reaction? <laughs> Are, are we speaking in terms of being the elite storylines or my or the, the feelings let's of... Let's do it as the elite and then as Kenny, <laughs> friend friend of Adam Kenny. Well, <laughs> well, I guess first of all, I mean, this this is a man that was supposed to be dead. <laughs> so, 
there must be some sort of strange black black magic going on behind the scenes, something beyond my knowledge. But we're going to get to the bottom of this, and you can be rest assured that there will be answers, and we're going to get to the bottom of, as to why Adam Cole is still alive and breathing. Because, as far to our knowledge, I mean, he was he was poisoned and he was dead, <laughs> and that was that was proven on the show. So. How was it that he was resurrected? Asked Alistair that, Black. Might yeah, something it will be addressed in future episodes um, of being the elite. Being don't, elite. don't you worry. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. We we can't let sleeping dogs lie, as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Adam Cole story does continue, and uh, there will be repercussions in the future. So just circling, but yes, just and as a, as the friend of of Adam Cole. Um, I'm not sure as to what I can say or cannot say, but I know there was difficulty with that situation, and I'm just happy as a friend of his that he is finally able to um, freely make his television debut, and I'm guessing that from here on in he's going to be a permanent fixture. And Yeah, uh, I know that um, more than a few fellows have had some difficulty uh, making their debuts there, and I'm just really happy that that's all cleared up. And um, I'm I'm hoping that from here on in it's smooth sailing, and that they can show why they are some of the best talents in the world. Difficulty. And by is... the looks of it, they're... oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say difficulty as far as what as like keeping their name and their character and their persona, or contracts um... with another company. What do you mean by that? Oh no, um, yeah, I mean. Just uh, from what I understand, their debuts uh, were t- supposed to be have been made earlier in the year, but complications had prevented oh. that. And um, you know, uh, as as a friend of theirs and a supporter, I just had worried that maybe things could go really bad, and that they wouldn't make their debut at all. Mm. But it appears that everything's smoothed over, and here they are on TV. Yeah. So it's good. Um, all that stuff has gone away, and uh, they are, I would assume, are, are about to do some real big and cool things for NXT. Hey, Kenny, you know, I was... Yeah. We, this is going backwards a little bit, but I want to talk about the, the G1 uh, special here in the States and your matches, man, because... Um, sure. I'm, okay, the match with Elgin was great. Great match first night. And then I'm going to skip to the second match, your match with Ishii. Because I heard you talk about uh, wanting to work with Ishii, at, uh, I think, on the Jim Ross podcast. And I, maybe you hadn't worked yeah. with him yet. And uh, you were absolutely right about, uh, <laughs> you know, your thoughts on working with him coming up. Uh, and and watching that match, man, noticing all the little details paid attention to and not just that match but all your matches uh but um you know the psychology it's you know some people go i don't like this psychology or you know they they don't have psychology no it's a different psychology it's a different Mm. one and it's great and and like the one thing like that really stood out to me and i don't know why is when you were trying to german him off the apron onto the table and like you got his grip loose and then he gripped it with his teeth was that your idea? Oh yeah, uh, I mean yeah, little little things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he was a stone pit bull, right? And yep. <laughs> um, 
I I can't take full credit for it because I'd actually seen uh, I I don't remember how far back it was, but I had seen Shibata do it okay. uh, to escape a submission hold where he was completely tied up and he ended up breaking the ropes by crawl, like you know kind of army crawling to the ropes like on his chest or whatever and um, and biting it. <clears throat> so I thought, man, wouldn't that be cool if that was the reason why I couldn't dragon suplex this guy off the apron, which is a move that no one would normally believe is going to happen anyway. Right. And if I actually did do it, people would say I was, you know, one of the most dangerous workers in all of the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, I wanted to toss that monkey wrench in to show that, wait a minute, what's even going to stop him from going now? Mm. And then, yeah, the bite. And then when we actually did go, I wanted to prove that I could do it safely, just as and and yeah, just like what like watching watching that match and all your matches, um, the things that you're doing out there are are like like I was saying earlier, so far ahead of everyone else. Like they're not the routine things that wrestling fans are used to seeing in every match: a tackle, drop down, leapfrog, blah blah. You know, you're you're coming yeah. at things from different angles and and different ways of going in and out of things and and it keeps people on their feet and it, and, it, and it surprises them and that's what makes great wrestling to me I mean I I completely agree I I love professional wrestling and I love doing what I do but I'm not necessarily a huge like fan and mark of what wrestling is is what what people tell you wrestling is supposed to be you know, that wrestling always has to be, you know, lock up, chain wrestling, take a headlock, and then you go into the first spot. Why does it have to be that? Exactly. You know, it's supposed to be a fight, right? Or it's supposed to be, um, you know, a contest between two gentlemen or a tag match or whatever. You know, what in the world of professional wrestling says you have to do it that way? Um, nothing. And that's why when I tell these different types of stories, people, I guess, that are wrestling purists may call that bad psychology or they just might not like it um but i'm just trying to tell human stories and stories that people can relate to all around the world not just wrestling fans because i'm yes. actually not trying to appeal to wrestling fans i'm trying to reach people that have been disenchanted with wrestling or people that want to give pro wrestling a try but you know maybe don't know much about it and just want to see something cool or people that just like watching, you know, TV dramas. People like watching Game of Thrones or whatever, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, let's watch wrestling." You know, what's cool? Or people that like MMA. You know, I want to give them a little bit of everything, but just make it compelling. And oh, yeah. sometimes, yeah, that's tackle, drop down, leapfrog, hip toss. But if it's always that, then that gets boring and that gets redundant. And then in the end, that kind of sucks. Yeah, and everyone else is doing it anyways, and you want to be doing something <laughs> right, different. Exactly. You want to stand out? That's how you do it. Doing shit like you do it. And you know what? You made a believer out of Roseanne Barr. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, that was pretty damn cool. Right? I couldn't believe that. Like, I thought that was... I mean, I know her son took the video, but, I mean, that was definitely Roseanne Barr in the, in the, in the movie. Wow. Damn right it Crazy. was. Crazy. <laughs> Hell, yeah. So, I mean, it just goes to show you what, exactly what you're talking about. You're reaching out to... Uh, uh, you're trying to broaden the tent. You know, I mean, we yeah. already have the rest, of the, the hardcore band. You already got their money. I don't mean to put it that way, but they're in it. We, well, you yeah. know, the hook's already sunk in on them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that, that's also kind of 
jives with how I wanted to wrestle in the G1 as well. Like there are, there's a certain type of style you're going to get plenty of in the G1, and I didn't want to contribute more to that certain kind of style because then everything just blends in with each other, and you're watching five singles matches a day that all look the same. Yes. And you know, I definitely, I just wanted to be at least, you know, the one match that's going to look a little different, for better or for worse. Even if it was, you know, maybe you were more excited with, um, you know, two other guys that were just killing each other and doing everything under the sun. At the very least, you know, maybe there's something fun or funny or entertaining that you took away from my match. Yeah. If that was the case, then I was I was a happy camper. The thing is, and that's why I called the Ishi, or that's why I called the um, the Yano match the way it did too. It's gotcha. like if you if the guy's character is comedy. I mean, there's no reason to half-ass it. You might as well just take it to another dimension already and and really reach out to the people that aren't familiar with what's going on. That, to me, was kind of like um, an opportunity to reach out for new fans, to yeah. get more product, um, just just get the product name out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've heard the negative criticisms, um, it doesn't belong in the G1 or whatever. I embarrassed myself and my opponent and the industry. Et cetera, et cetera, How can anyone tell you you embarrassed yourself? Did you feel embarrassed? No, no, no. Then what the effort are they talking not. about? <laughs> no, but but I mean, this is what this is what people you know. This is I'm, I'm just talking about the negative backlash gotcha. that no, I received. I I... Um, but um, you know, for me, it's just it was just product awareness, like. People think now that, you know, because I'm in tight with Dave Meltzer or whatever, that I'm always wrestling for his rating scale. <laughs> and I got I got a one-star match, but it's one of the matches I'm most proud of in all my G1. Yeah. Um, and, and that match, maybe up to that point, probably had more views and it was and had more notoriety <laughs> than all of the other matches on the G1 up to that point. Yeah. Again, for better or for worse, like, no, I don't want the G1 to be known as that. Of course not. But if it's kind of the gateway drug to showing all the awesome guys that we have in New Japan that are, you know, busting their butts, and then they remember me as that guy in that match, and they're seeing me bust my butt against a guy like Okada or Naito, then I think it's mission accomplished. Nice. I want to talk to but we've talked a lot about the, your, you know, what you're doing in the ring and, like, you mm-hmm. know, all the groundbreaking stuff, uh, but... Like okay, the way you're conducting business out of the ring too, with the whole with the elite and all that, and making your own uh, group within a group, like like Scott and Kevin and I did with the Wolfpack when we were in NWO. It's it, it reminds yeah. me of that a bit. Uh, although you guys seem to have taken it to another level in your own ways and made it your own, which is cool. Uh, but um, I get the like the the impression that. You're kind of calling your own shots when it comes to uh, the direction of uh, the elite. Whether you know, I mean, are, are you? Um, is that is that is that the case? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely the case. Um, in terms of Bullet Club, you know, of course, that's a that's an intellectual property owned by New Japan, and kind of what they say is is the law. It's it's that's what goes, and. Um, you know, the elite at first was kind of just a, a joke. You know, we had sort of the the young bucks and I, and, and actually AJ even at the time, because yeah. he was with New Japan at the time. Um, we would always joke around, like, for example, we'd be calling a match, and 
you know, a guy would give a deer a headlights look, and we'd be, you know, we just joke around, like, oh, you're not elite, so that's why you don't understand. And um, then when AJ um, had announced that he was leaving and he was doing his last match, and we did the, the double cross and AJ in the ring, yeah. we thought, like, maybe let's let's run with this elite thing now. Because, you know, on the road, the Bucks and I, we're always together, we're always hanging out. Um, you know, when I do take outside bookings with the Indies, I'm always going to try to get on the same shows as the Bucks. And, uh, you know, the other Bullet Club guys, you know, they just sort of do the Bullet Club stuff in Japan. So we had sort of felt that we're the ambassadors for Bullet Club outside of Japan anyway. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, Bucks had signed a contract with Ring of Honor. I was signed full-time with New Japan. And we had realized that because we're sort of apart from each other, more often than not, we'd wanted to come up with a way to give back to fans that weren't seeing us team as the elite as often as we'd like. So Nick actually came up with this idea to do being the elite, which is what yeah. was supposed to be kind of like an inside look as to our our lives on the road or before and after matches. And um, it was just straight up like, you know, this is our travel schedule. We're headed to the building. This is the match. This is after the match. And then it was a done deal. And um, in between all that, we would make stupid comedy skits that we would upload anyway. And then in the end, those sort of blended together into the actual Being the Elite episodes. And now we have an actual, you know, actual storylines within the real life before and after match happenings. And that became Being the Elite. And now we have kind of like. We have the elite, which is myself, Nick, and Matt, and then we have kind of being the elite, the cast, which is like myself, Nick, Matt, Marty, Cody, uh, um, you know, the kind of like the the guys that are appearing more often than not on the episodes. Sure. And um, <clears throat> yeah, like that sort of people wanted merchandise at that point, so we made elite merchandise. Then Any once heat? that took off. Any heat, any heat with the office or the other boys over kind of like some people might consider going into business for yourselves with, with that? Uh, no. I mean, they were they were happy. I mean, ROH was happy, and New Japan had asked us if we were interested in selling the name, <laughs> of course, or just or just give or just giving them the name, <laughs> you know, whichever whichever one's better. Um, and we had just said no, like no, we kind of want it to be our own thing if yeah. it's cool with you guys. So they said that's fine. And, um, you know, when we do six mans and stuff, we have, like, our own, like, elite, like, um, screen or whatever. Like, we have our own, like, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, that a Titantron, if you will. Sure. So, like, you know, they, they and they do call us the elite on all the pamphlets and all that. So, like, they, they do recognize that we are doing our own thing, kind of. And if, and if, um, and if God forbid, like, the, the, the Bullet Club itself overall gets too watered down, you've insulated yourselves from that. Definitely, yeah, and that that's sort of another thing too. Like there was a time when um, we were just adding everyone under the sun. Like, okay, if there's a foreigner that comes to New Japan, oh, Bullet Club, yeah. you're Bullet Club for sure. And it was never really supposed to be that. Like, it was always supposed to kind of be, you know, dudes that were were actual real friends in real life. Yeah. And we we didn't want it to be this huge, like, mass of humanity. You know, anyone that was foreign or from America or from a different country just automatically gets tossed in the Bullet Club. We never wanted it to be that. And um, even though, you know, they say 
we can kind of control that situation. In the end, we never really could. Right. So the elite was kind of created as a situation where we dictate what happens. You know, there's never going to be, you know, a million members of the elite. The elite's yeah. just going to be like us, and that's it. Um, when we make these being the elite episodes, there's not going to be any, like, hanky-panky weird editing. You know, we edited ourselves. We The way that we show yeah. ourselves and portray ourselves is up to us. Um, the storylines that we do, you know, we're not going to disrespect the New Japan storylines, but we are going to have our own storylines on top of that. And we know it's kind of like walking a thin line, but we make sure not to upset anyone on, on either side. Sure. And I'm a big fan of uh, the the uh, addition of Marty's girl into the Bullet Club. Huge fan. Oh, of yeah, we love Marty, yeah. Yes. Like that that was that was a situation actually where we, we actually really asked and we well, we begged for Marty to be part of Bullet Club. He's one of those Just guys uh, that brings that brings something to the t-shirt instead of the shirt bringing something you know just getting the guy over you know what i mean like oh what are we gonna do yeah. with the guy? And like, oh and i don't know let's just put a bullet club shirt on him <laughs> it's not that he brought something to the to the group definitely yeah and he's got like a just the way the way that he conducts himself his work his look all really cool um he's you know a lot a lot like adam cole in a way where um, you know he he can work really well, can cut a real good promo. He's got great facials, um, but I, I mean, and this isn't at all a knock on Adam Cole, but as a presence, when I see Marty make his entrance as a plague doctor with the umbrella, yes. I'm captivated more by that. Yeah, man. So well, it's it's really cool to have him as part of the Bullet Club, and what a swell guy, just a real cool guy. On top of it all, yes, on top of it all. Tremendous human being on top of everything else. Yep. Well, you pretty much took over AJ's spot as the leader, and then Marty took over Adam's spot. So if you were ever going to be taken out of the Bullet Club, who would you want to replace mm-hmm. you? Uh, uh, I mean, see, this is already kind of... <laughs> it's sort of become an issue where I'm not even sure if I'm fit to be leader anymore, like right now. Um, And that is just because it's to a degree in Japan where uh, if if you're shown working hard, you're just going to start to get over and people are going to love it and people are going to love you because you're giving of your heart, you're giving of your soul and there's almost no way for you to be a full heel anymore. And that's sort of the situation I've fallen in being in every big show main event since Wrestle Kingdom this year. Um, and there's really nothing I could do aside from purposely not try, you know what I mean? Um, so I honestly feel that even though in America the Bullet Club presence is, is really, no, it's almost like a babyface entity. People love repping the Bullet Club. They love throwing up the two suites. Um, but a lot, in Japan, of boot, a lot of bootleg merch out there. Now you know you made it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. But in Japan, I know for a fact that they really would prefer us to be a, a straight heel unit and you know we do try to work that way in our matches but no matter what we do no matter all the dastardly things we do leading up to the big matches if you perform and you have a great big match 
people are going to love you anyway. Um, so let the people yeah, love who they want to love. I need I need the I need the slate wiped clean at this point yeah. because you know I've I've done too much, and I was thinking that maybe Cody would be a, a great leader, um, given the fact that not only is he just a great heel and understands how to be a heel, but even in America, um, on the American shows, I don't know if you saw Cody's match against Okada, mm-hmm. but he was he was booed as a heel. Yes. And yeah. it was a it was a rare situation where, you know, as over as the Bullet Club guys were in America, Cody was like the one guy that was treated as a pure heel. And I think as a leader that would be great to have. Yeah. Hey, before we're getting close to the end here, uh Kenny, and I wanna let I wanna let everybody in the room here hit you I know you guys probably have a few more questions you wanna answer and I don't wanna keep you guys from doing it. So do you mind if I let them hammer hammer you with a few more before oh, we let go you ahead. go? Yeah, go rapid Thanks. fire. So circling back to Okada and your incredible in-ring feud with, with him, you know, in New Japan history, it's Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi is one of the most, like, respected and known uh, feud, in-ring feud. But now people are saying that yours with Okada is taking over that. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough because, well, I think maybe from an in-ring in ring, you know, just as a trilogy, uh, perhaps what we have shown through our actions in the ring is a, a great story. However, it's hard to say that it is better than the story that was Okada versus Tanahashi because I think they had something like nine or ten matches between each other I mean it was it their kind of rivalry took place over the better part of I don't want to get this wrong but I think it was like three years or so maybe more maybe even four Um, and Okada and myself had three matches in less than a year so I think it's apples and oranges um uh if people prefer our our trilogy to you know that the history between the passing of the torch of Tanahashi to Okada, I'm I'm thankful for that. I mean, I've tried my best just to have the the best performances I could, um, but I, I definitely wouldn't feel slighted if people said that you know Tanahashi as like the ten year ace of the company passing the torch to Okada was the better story because I mean there was. It was definitely an emotional, an emotional story arc for the company, and uh, they don't really change aces of the company too often. They ride someone damn right into the ground. <laughs> yeah, they, they really, they really, they really do. So, to pretty much, you know, have have Tanahashi pass the torch to Okada when Tanahashi was kind of the guy that was there through the thick and thin of things, and and kind of brought. New Japan out of the rubble, and and brought it back to prominence again. Um, props, that's a huge thing. Props to Tanahashi for for uh, doing business like that too. A lot of guys definitely, back in the old definitely. days in New Japan wouldn't have like a Choshu or you know that's why Choshu ended up with the you know Maeda's foot and chicken <laughs> shit thing Maeda did. But it was over resentment of you know 
guys being held back. Right. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, definitely yeah. Uh, it's uh, and a very a very honorable thing to do. Um, and he was willing to pass the torch when Okada wasn't even necessarily ready to handle the responsibility. Yeah. And and Tanahashi kind of like, Tanahashi has plenty of more miles left on him too. So it's it just it's kind of yep. it's kind of amazing to me. Uh, Kenny, I yeah, know that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, no, I was done. It's okay. Okay. Uh, I know that you said that you and LIJ or Bullet Club and LIJ don't get to mix it up too much. You get to wrestle Naito once mm-hmm. a year. Can we can we have the next Bullet Club versus LIJ match be Kenny Omega versus Daryl? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, I, this, is ser- uh, this is Kenny Omega, so that's a serious question. And 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 Daryl no, Daryl is extremely over as a babyface. He is. <laughs> yes, it w- it honestly would be the exact same situation as facing the girl or Yoshihiko, where the crowd would believe and cheer for Daryl. Yep. There's nothing, there's nothing Daryl could ever do that would make him a heel in that match. Um, and I don't think I would ever do a singles, but if it was, for example, myself and the Young Bucks versus, um, you know, Hiromu, Naito, and Daryl. I think it could work. I honestly think it could work. Nice. And and I actually, even just saying that right now, like all these cool ideas are popping into my head as to how we can make it work and actually make it believable as well. Well, but Daryl has more emotional equity than than ninety percent of the baby faces that get shoved down people's throats <laughs> in this industry. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the unfortunate truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey. Uh, before we let you go, I want to talk about New Japan's uh, uh, plans coming up in the future here. And I just okay. wanted to throw this out there that I think that New Japan on their next tour should run the the Cow Palace in San Francisco and you should headline it. And sell I mean, that mother effort out. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I as long as we bring in our, our dudes and as long as we have, you know, a, a strong card like we had... Um, on the on the first New Japan US outing, I think it can do much better than what we did. And I mean, we really undershot. The office had admittedly said we were worried, we were nervous, we didn't know how well it would do. We were we couldn't believe it would do well. And I had told everyone from the beginning we will do well. People know who we are. They want to see who we are. They want to check it out. There's a lot of first time viewers that are just curious that will check it out. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they won't make the same mistake twice. And um, hey, it's better to know, do we, it that way than than go into a big ass building and only half fill it, man. Yeah, I mean, and that was yeah, that was definitely um, the thought process going into that, and I totally understand it. But um, I don't know. I just I, I I was I was confident in our product, and I I really wish that we had at least had you know a venue two or three times the size as what we'd run. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, whatever. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and I just. Yeah. So is there anything I'll else? I'll put it onward. Hey, Kenny, okay, is there anything else for you guys? Well, okay, go ahead, quick, Jimbo. How close were you to signing with WWE at that Royal Rumble a couple years back? That was last year, this wasn't year. it? This year? Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was literally uh, so a year ago. ago. Oh, no, not, not even a year ago. This year. My this goodness. Year. Yeah, not even a year ago. Uh, honestly, not, not, not too close at all. Um, <laughs> I was... And I... I don't want to sound like I'm too demanding or anything, but it wasn't ever really uh, so much a dollar figure as it was um, 
a plan. There are certain guys that I would just love to mix it up with there if I ever did go there. And, um, you know, I would, I would hate to be stuck not knowing how they were going to use me or if they were going to use me. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I just, I guess I just wanted to hear the magic words of, you know, we, we are going to have you mix up with this guy and this guy and this guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because at this point I, I just want to feel like I have a complete career and I think that as long as I focus on my body of work, you know, the other things like money and popularity and success or whatever and job security and all that, that will just come naturally. So, um, yeah, uh, I didn't, I did not have the opportunity to discuss things like that. So it just was, it never came to fruition. Uh, it might in the future, who knows? But, uh, yeah, that, that's the reason why I'm still with New Japan. And, and I, you know what, given everything that I've been able to do this year, I'm, I'm really happy with that decision. Have you spoken to Johnny A since all your sex in, or success in Japan? Uh, not at all, actually. No, but I'd, I'd love to talk with him, though. Yeah, he was super, super kind and cool to me uh, when we had met in... Um, in America, and we we'd, we'd spoken on the phone. He was the guy that originally hired me, so um, you know to to actually you know chat with him and and kind of catch up with the guy that actually believed in me when I was nothing. You know, yeah, I'd like to be able to say hi and say thanks and see how he's doing and all that. Oh, I'm sure you'll get the opportunity <laughs> at, at some point. I'm sure. Kenny, um, could you please come back on? Because there's about a million and one things I still want to talk to you about on here. For sure, yeah. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> oh, I'm so gutted we ran out of time today. Um, it, let me uh, go ahead and like give everyone like your social media and anything that you have going on that you want to uh, plug. Sure, yeah. Um, of course, uh, I am on Twitter a lot. I I don't necessarily always post, but I'm always looking at things and keeping keeping up to date with the goings-on, and that's at Kenny Omega Man X. So once again, that's at Kenny Omega Man X on Twitter. Um, I have, well, I and the Young Bucks have the show on YouTube called Being the Elite, so please subscribe to the show, watch it. I was it, on an episode hopefully, of that. Li hopefully like it. Um, you know, you don't have to pretend you like it. If you don't like it, then you don't like it, but if you like it, you know, show us that you like it. Subscribe to the channel. We love making content. We love making episodes. And, uh, you know, the more subscribers, the better. So being the elite, uh, youngbucksmerch.com, tons of elite merchandise there. Hot topic. Uh, for wrestling tees, Kenny Omega, got stuff on there too. So um, any anytime you guys show support, it really helps. So Your new exclusive oh, you elite shirt at Hot Topic that just released. That's right, and uh, if you guys have uh, access to Hot Topics in your area, we have merchandise in all of the Hot Topics. That includes uh, Kenny Omega stuff, Bullet Club stuff, Young Buck stuff, Cody stuff, Marty stuff, and Elite stuff now, too. And um, there may be even more stuff in the future, but that remains to be seen. <laughs> but we are really excited for... Um, the rest of the year and, and beyond and it, it's going to be real cool moving forward nice kenny like you legitimately are like to me 
arguably the top, like the top in ring performer in wrestling right now. Mm-hmm. You know, some people might have a different taste of, of what they like, but in my opinion, you are. And I'm honored that you came on the show today, man, and that you gave us some of your time. And uh, please come oh, back you. on. And yes, I uh, a thousand percent will whenever you guys want me to, want to have me. You're an amazing guest, man. Thank you so Thanks, much, Kenny. Kenny. Have an awesome day, right, man. Thanks, guys. Too sweet. All right. Ooh-wee. Sweet, right? We're not taking a break after that. No, no. Yeah, that was fantastic. And uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to XPOC12360. You can find me uh, at the real XPOC on Twitter. Everybody do that thing real quick. <laughs> follow me on Twitter at Jimbo in the booth. You guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Denise Salcedo. You can follow, follow me on all social media at Sunday Motel. Check out uprocks.com and check out our Wisp and X podcast. Episode 2 just released today, and it's got... Sean X Pac Waltman on it. So yes, sir. Uh, you can follow me on everything at TK Trinidad. All right, everybody. See you right, right here next week. Easy for me to say. <laughs> on X Pac 1, 2, 3, 60. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Sean Waltman, producers Jimbo Frank and TK Trinidad, managing producer of AfterBuzz TV Wrestling Mark Donica, and the entire X Pac 1, 2, 3, 60 staff. We would like to thank you for tuning in. Like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube. Follow XPOC on Twitter at TheRealXPOC and email us at XPOC12360show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the AfterBuzz TV Network. Buzz you later!